good morning. We're glad you're here this morning. Hey, here's what we're going to do for a few minutes, all right? I want to make sure you're awake and you're live and you're ready to go. So I'm going to ask you for about 30 seconds to talk to your neighbor, and here's the conversation. Not your family member. Find someone around you that's not your family and talk to them. And I want you to talk about for a few minutes, or just about 25, 30 seconds, what is the greatest victory you have experienced in your lifetime, all right? The greatest victory. It could be spiritual or not so spiritual. It doesn't matter. What's the greatest victory you've experienced in your life? Ready, mark, set, go right now. All right, all right, here we go. Somebody just uh, raise your hand and tell me what that victory was. Somebody tell me what you shared. Anybody? Yeah, yeah. Okay, coming back to your faith in Christ, that's awesome, awesome, yeah. Birth of a child, yes, yes. Anybody else? Yeah. Yeah, quitting addictions or habits, things like that. What else? Anybody else? Yeah. Going to state with your softball team. Probably one of the greatest victories... Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. Well, one of the one of the, my favorite uh, moments of victory, I've had a lot in my life, but this is for Branson, is when I was a senior year, we were down 19 nothing against Jackson. We came back and beat them. That was one of my favorite, yeah, moments of victory, Branson. I just wanted you to know that. That was, that was for you, man, all right? Here's why I wanted to, to help you think about it. It's easy sometimes when we get into this series, Red Thread, and we, we continue to look at stories of how God intervenes and God rescues and there's great victory. It's easy for us to look at life and forget about the victories God's allowed us to have. Now, football might not necessarily be one of those victories, but some of you could stand testimony today, you've beat cancer. Is that a victory? You better believe it's a victory. Some of you have beat addictions with the hope of the God. Is that a victory? You better believe it. I mean, and I think sometimes in church, we forget to celebrate the moments of God's goodness, God's faithfulness, and the victories that God has brought into our lives. And I want you to take a moment before we jump into it and just think about the victories that Christ has done in your life. Ultimately, the greatest victory is the moment you said yes to him and you passed from death to life. That is victorious. And so as we get into the text this morning, I want us to think about great victories, great moments of victory, as we'll see one today. As we've been in this series, Red Thread, the whole goal, the whole premise is for us to see the thread of God's love and God's rescue all the way through the Old Testament. In fact, everything we read is funneling us and pointing us to the direction of the person and the work of Jesus. And so last week, we kind of ended uh, the, the story of the Red Sea, and we talked about Israel was literally between a rock and a hard place, and God parted the waters, and he provided a way of escape, and then Israel passed through that, they were rescued, and then the Egyptians were destroyed. Now, today we're going to fast forward about 400 more years to a guy by the name of David. And the story we're going to read today is a story that most of you, if not all of you, have already read before. It may be the first Bible story you were ever taught as a kid in church, and so it's extremely familiar. But here's what I want you to hear this morning. I want you to put aside the familiarity with the passage, and here's what we're looking for. We're looking for some truths about my life, truths about our lives of faith, but ultimately how David is a foreshadowing and a picture of Jesus. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17 is where we are going to be this morning. Now, as you're turning there, I want to catch you up on the 400 years I just skipped, all right? So Israel gets across the Red Sea, and they're in this desert land, and they do what Israel does best. 
they rebel against God, right? I mean, God provides all this stuff. He provides 10 commandments. And you know, he had to write those things several times because they just weren't quite getting it. Moses broke them one time. I mean, this is kind of a fiasco. They built a golden calf. I mean, a lot of stuff happens. And eventually, they're about to go into the promised land, and Moses sends these spies out, and these spies come back, 10 with a bad report, and ultimately, Israel wanders 40 years in the wilderness. Well, then Moses passes away, and Joshua takes the reins and says, we're going to go into the land. So they go into the land, and not all 12 tribes, only 10 and a half tribes. There was a tribe and a half that decided staying in the desert was better than going what God had for them. And that's a whole sermon in itself, but they, that's what they decided. So these ten half tribes, they go into this land of Canaan, this land flowing with milk and honey, and they have a lot of battles they have to face, a lot of battles they go through. But eventually they conquer the land, and God begins to allot different pieces of land to different tribes. Now here's the problem. When they got their own land, they were like, oh yes, I've got my own space. The tribe of Benjamin, I've got my own area. But here's the problem. We were slaves. We don't know how to work the ground. We don't know how to farm. But my neighbors over here, the Canaanites, they do. So they would go over to the people that were beside them and say, how do we farm the land? And they go, oh, we'll tell you how to farm the land, but here's one condition. You've got to worship our gods. Okay, I don't have a problem with that. Just teach me how to farm. And so Israel got in this cycle of rebelling and worshiping false gods, and then God was so frustrated with them, here's what would happen. Remember I said a couple weeks ago, it starts with slavery, and then God will always raise up a deliverer. Well, the book of Judges is God raising up judges, men and women, who he would send to Israel to confront their sin and to lead them down a path of rescue. Here's the frustrating thing about the book of Judges. That story of slavery and sin, a deliverer being raised up, and rescue, and it goes back to that cycle, is, happens over and over and over again in the book of Judges. But that's Israel's story. Unlike, not quite unlike, our story, isn't it? Isn't that how we oftentimes live our lives? Amen? Amen. Come on, isn't that how we live? Sure it is. And then there was a moment, Israel goes, hey, look. They began to look around all these other, all these other nations. They said, Here's, they've got something we don't have. They've all got kings. We need a king. And the prophet Samuel goes, no, you don't. You got God. You don't need king. You got God. Remember what he did for your grandma and grandpa when he parted the Red Sea? Remember how he provided manna from heaven? Remember, you've got God. You don't need a king. And Israel goes, mm, yes, we do. We need a king. And so Samuel's so distraught, he goes to God, says, God, they've rejected me. And God says, no, they haven't, Samuel. They've rejected me, not you. And if they think they need a king, fine, let's give them a king. So God anoints the first king of Israel, and his name is Saul, the first king of Israel. And so as we get into the passage in 1 Samuel chapter 17, Saul is the king, and they are on the brink of doing battle with their greatest enemy they would ever face, the group called the Philistines. And that's where we pick up the story. Now, as we get into this, there's five things I'm going to point out. But here's what I want you to hear. And these five things either tell us something about our spiritual life, about ourselves, but ultimately paint a picture of how David is a foreshadowing of Jesus and what in the world does that mean for us? So the first thing I want you to notice is found in verse 3 through 7. It says this, And the Philistines stood on the mountain on the one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side. I love the Bible. 
And I love it because there's such a visual that we get sometimes. I mean, you've seen the movies where, you know, maybe you watch Braveheart, you know, where there's an army on this ridge and there's an army on this ridge and there's a valley in the middle. And we're probably thinking, that's not how battle really happens. That's how battle happened here, right? Philistines are on one ridge, Israel's on the other. Guess where the fight takes place? In the valley between them. And it says this, and uh, out of the Philistines came a champion, verse 4, came out of the cha- camp of the Philistines, a champion named Goliath of Gath, listen to this, who his height was six cubits and a span, and his helmet was of bronze and on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, which means metal, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze, and he had a bronze armor on his legs and a javelin of a bronze slung around his shoulders. And the shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam and his spearhead weighed 600 shekels of iron. And his shield bearer went before him. Now I find humor in that. Here's this massive man with all this, he's got like a, a yugo hanging off him. He's got all this metal hanging off of him. And all of a sudden, you know, it's the giant and one of the seven dwarves carrying his little shield bearer up in front of him, Right? But listen to this, verse 16. For 40 days, the Philistine came forward and took his stand morning and evening. Now, here's what I want you to notice about this and when called out. First of all, there was a real enemy here. Israel had a real enemy. And he was the worst enemy imaginable. Now, let let me kind of translate some of the cubits and all that stuff just so you know. Most scholars believe that Goliath was somewhere between nine and 10 feet tall, okay? Yeah, that's, he would have made a great NBA player, right? I mean, he was between nine and 10 feet tall. And when it says all these different weights of shekels and how much it weighed, he basically held metal on his body as his armor. He had metal on his shins to protect him. He had a javelin that's head weighed more than your body weighs. I mean, this guy was amazing. He was what we would call today a stud. I mean, when you saw this guy, you were like, oh my gosh, nobody's messing with this guy. And that's who Philistines go, that's our champion, And he's going to come fight your champion. That's our guy. Now, here's the worst part of it. It wasn't the size. It wasn't the equipment. It wasn't the spirit. Here's the worst part if you're Israel. The Bible says he would come out for 40 days, morning and evening, and he would hurl insults about their God. He would defile their God. Now, you ever heard the expression, you know, you can talk about anybody, but don't just talk about my mama. You You know what I'm talking about there? Right, okay, this is worse than talking about your mama. This is them talking about his God. And they just didn't do it one time and go, what are you gonna do about it? They did it for 40 days, both morning and evening. So 80 different times Israel is listening to this giant talk trash about their God. There was a real enemy. Now, listen to me. When we look at this and we see how Goliath was their enemy, it reminds us that we too have a real enemy and his name is Satan. It's the devil. We Listen to me. I'm not trying to freak him out, but I want you to know, we have a real enemy. And you know what? He hurls insults about God too. Now, he's not always trash talking. He's trying to manipulate and deceive us. Go back to the garden. What did the serpent tell Eve? Surely God didn't say that, Right? He's trying to create doubt like God's not trustworthy. Then you go all the way to when Jesus tempted in the desert. He's like, listen, throw yourself from this because you know for it is written that the angels won't let you strike. I mean, come on. God's not going to happen to you. I mean, God, 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 God is not trustworthy. And, and I mean, he's just trying to create all this nonsense in Jesus' mind 
Because why? Because he's a liar and our enemy is out to deceive us and he insults God by trying to do so, right? Now here's the thing, that's why the Apostle Paul said this. Our wrestle is not against flesh and blood, but our wrestle is against the principalities and the rulers of this world. In other words, hey, he's telling the church of Ephesus, there's a real enemy. I know you don't see him, you can't can't catch him out from the distance, but there's a real enemy, and it's not on a physical plane, there is a spiritual battle that's going on. So Paul goes on to say, you need to be ready to guard against the schemes of the devil. You need to be ready to fight against the tactics and the schemes of the devil, and the only way to do it, he says in Ephesians 6, you can read it later, is to put on the full armor of God. That's the only way to battle. Now, why would Paul go to those links? Because he wanted us to know that there is a real enemy. The Bible says he's like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Please hear me. We have a real enemy, and he hates us. And Goliath was the enemy of Israel, and the devil is our enemy. And if you think for one moment he's not prowling around trying to get you to sin and to fail and to manipulate you to to abandon and to walk away from God, you are mistaken. Jesus said it this way, the thief or the devil, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's his three motives, to steal, kill, and destroy. If you had a kid whose motives in life was to steal, kill, and destroy, would you say they were a good kid with good intentions? Come on, would you say that? No. No. You would say they're rotten to the core, right? Listen, the devil has no good agenda for you. In fact, if you don't know Christ, here's what he's trying to do to you. He wants to keep you away from Christ. He wants to keep you from accepting Christ and and make you to a place where you're like, don't even want to do anything with Jesus. You don't want to respond to the gospel at all. And if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, he wants to do whatever he can to make you ineffective in being a witness and a testimony. For Christ. We have an enemy. Please don't dismiss that. Israel had one. We have one. Second thing I want you to notice is this, is that there was a battle. Look at me in verse 8 through 11. It says this. It says, he stood and he shouted to the ranks of Israel, why have you come out and draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? Are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourself and let him come down to me. If he's able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man that will may fight together. When Saul and all of Israel heard to get these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly what? Would you be afraid? Heck yeah, I'd be afraid. This guy's a giant, right? I mean, this guy's got a car for metal. I mean, this guy is like, nobody wants to mess with him. Now listen to me, there was a battle going on here. The battle was between two people, Goliath, the champion of the Philistines, and any man of Israel that had the courage to come fight him. Now, did anybody show up? No. You know why? Because the stakes were so high. What were the stakes for the fight. The stakes were, if we win and you lose, you become our servants. 
our slaves. If you win and we lose, we become your servants, your slaves. Hey, look, they had just come out of slavery 400 years ago, and they were in it for 400 years before that. Do you think they remembered the stories that grandma and grandpa told them about their grandma and grandpa and all those that had been in slavery? You better believe it. The stakes were high. The battle was in front of them, and Goliath said, anybody that wants to fight, I'll take them on. But here's the stakes. Either we're going to be your slaves, or you're going to be our slaves. Are you ready to fight? Now, please hear me. There is a battle that came on the cross. There was a battle between Jesus and and the devil. The devil thought if he can manipulate the situation and work in the hearts of the Pharisees and work in the heart of Judas, that somehow by getting Jesus to the cross and Jesus dying on the cross, that he would win the battle. There was a battle that went on on the cross between Jesus and the devil. But guess what the stakes were? It wasn't slavery. It was salvation, right? That's the stakes. Listen to, listen to this, 1 Corinthians 15, 17. I think we'll have this on the screen. It says, and if Christ had not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. In other words, when Jesus died on the cross, if he had not risen the third day, there would be no reason for us to be here today. Our faith would be futile. Our faith would be in vain and we would still be dead in our sins. Why? Because Jesus would have been a liar. Not the son of God. Not the savior of the world. Listen to me, when I think about the cross, so many times I think about it, it's just all about the selfishness of, you know, he died for me and the blood that was shed. Listen, there was high stakes on the cross. There were high stakes in the resurrection. Our salvation was at stake. There was a battle. And that battle was fought between Jesus and the devil, just like Goliath was ready to do battle with Israel. There was a battle. Third thing I want you to notice, and listen, when we get into this, the next couple, the next two or three of these, these are beautiful pictures of David foreshadowing Jesus. And here it is, verse 17 and 18. And Jesse, that's David's father, said to David his son, take for your brothers an ephod and this parched grain and then 10 loaves and carry them quickly to the camp to your brothers. Also take these 10 cheeses to the commander of the thousand. See if your brothers are well and bring some token from them. Now, here's what I want you to notice. There was a sending that went on. Jesse, the father of David, sent David to the battle lines. And here's what he did. He said, I want you to take all this food. David, come on, let me, let me take you away from what you're doing. Let's, let's, let's interrupt what you're doing with the sheep. And I need you to take food to your brothers who are on the front line. And I want you to care for them. And I want you to make sure that they're doing okay. And I want you to bring something back to me to let me know that they're doing okay. So David, I want you to go take this food and make sure their welfare is doing well. That they are okay. Jesse sent David to the battle lines. Are you, do you know where I'm about to go with this? There was a heavenly father who sent his son into the battlefield, right? One of the most amazing verses, for God so loved the world that he gave, could be translated sent. The heavenly father sent his son, not to check on the welfare of humanity, because he already knew the welfare of humanity. We are broken, we are lost, wretched, pitiful, pathetic. He didn't send Jesus to come check out the scene and go, how is humanity doing? No, he sent Jesus, the Bible says, to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus came with a mission to seek and to save that which was lost. 
And by God sending Jesus is a reminder that he always provided a path of rescue. Are you with me on that? Say, if you're with me, say, I got it. I'm telling you, the fact that Jesus was sent by God is a reminder that Jesus was the way of escape. Hey, little did David know when he got there what God had in store for him, right? But see, God knew beforehand, David's gonna be the way that I, David is the avenue and the vehicle that I'm gonna bring victory for Israel. God knew it. David didn't know it. Saul sure didn't know it. And Israel didn't know it. Jesus is the way of rescue for us. But it started with Jesus stepping out of heaven and becoming one of us. And the word became flesh and he dwelt among us. Right? Another thing I want you to notice with me here. Not only was there ascending, but look at me in verse 32. And David, now David has heard all this nonsense, all right? David's heard all these insults, and here's what David's response is. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Now, just think about that for a moment. David, a shepherd boy, who later will find out that, that Goliath says is a runt, and he's youthful, meaning he's tiny and insignificant. And David goes, don't you worry, guys. I'm going to go fight this battle for you, right? Now, listen, not only was there a sending of the Father, but now there is a stand that has taken place. I mean, David gets down there, and David was willingly, he stood in the gap for Israel. His Israel on one side, the Philistines on the other, and Goliath going, come down here and fight me, and nobody's moving. In fact, the Bible says they are dismayed and greatly what? afraid, right? Nobody's going to do anything. They're like, maybe you ought to go. Hey, you look kind of beef today. Maybe you ought to go. No, no, no. You're, you're way better with a sword. Maybe you ought to go. No, how about the king? No, he's kind of lavishing back here. I mean, no. I mean, nobody's making a move. And David shows up, got his food. What's, what's this guy doing? And David says, hey, don't, don't be worried. I'll go fight. See, David willingly stood in the gap for Israel. The enemy defiled their God, and David said, enough is enough, and something has to be done. And listen to this. He was willing to sacrifice his own life because of his love for God and because of his love for his nation, Israel. Now hear this. Jesus stood in our gap, didn't he? Jesus took our place. The theological term is propitiation. Jesus instead of us. See, our sin is rebellion toward God. And there was a moment in history where Jesus had to decide, what are we going to do with that rebellion? And you know what Jesus decided to do? Jesus decided, I'm going to go on the cross, and I'm going to be there, and I'm going to take the full wrath of God on me so that they might experience God's grace, not his wrath. I will take on his wrath so they may experience his grace. Jesus laid down his life. David was willing to, but Jesus did it. Look with me in, in John chapter 10, verse 18. Look what it says here. It says, no one takes it from me. Talking about his life. But I lay it down of my what? My own accord. Now, I know we've all talked about it. No, it was the Jews that crucified Jesus. No, it was the Romans crucified. No, Jesus allowed himself to be crucified. Jesus laid down his own life because he loves us. And the fact that Jesus took a stand is a reminder of the depth and the width of God's love 
for us. A love that oftentimes we just take for granted. Right? Come on, are you with me on that, right? See, when I look at this story, I know, I know where, you're like, okay, where's the slingshot? Come on, let's get to the slingshot. Hey, let's talk about the death of Goliath. Hey, come on, Doug, let's get to the, the, the hero of the story. Hey, listen, I think sometimes we look for the, the thing that makes us feel better instead of digging into the text and, and let things that disturb us disturb us. See, when I read this, I'm reminded of something powerful today. There is an enemy. He's like a roaring lion seeking who he may devour. There's an enemy who wants to do all he can to tempt us and to pull us away from our walk with Christ or to tempt us and to keep us from having a relationship with Christ. There is a real enemy, and there's also a real battle that's going on. There's a battle for your soul if you don't know Christ, and there's a battle for your testimony if you do know Christ. The devil's doing all he can to battle with you. But we have the encouragement today, knowing there was a sending, that God sent his only son to this earth to be one of us, to seek and to save that which was lost. But the best part is there was a stand. David willingly stood in the gap for Israel. Jesus stood in the gap for us. On your best day, with your best attitude and your best effort, was never good enough to gain us access to heaven. It was Jesus who stood in the gap. And through his finished work on the cross, we can have salvation. Amen? One more thing I want you to notice. Lastly, there's a victory in this story. Here we go. Look at me in verse 48 through 53. It says this. When the Philistines arose and drew near to meet David... This is talking about Goliath. So David's now said, I'm going to, now, the whole story, you can go back and read it. David says, I'm going to fight. And Saul goes, let's put my armor on him. And that, that's like, that ain't going to work. That's, 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 it's like me putting my clothes on David. It's just something's are just not going to work out very well. All right. And so it didn't happen. And so David grabs a slingshot and five smooth stones. And here's what happens. It says, when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line. Now, just, just pause, pause, pause. David ran to meet an enemy that everybody else is scared to death of. Come on. Is that not a little odd to you? Wouldn't it be more like he snuck up on Goliath, right? He tried to flank Goliath out. It says he ran to the battle line. Listen to me. One thing that's true of all Americans, if you look at it statistically, the greatest fear of all Americans, guess what it is? The number one fear. Death. Death is the number one fear of all Americans. You can look at the Gallup poll. You can look at the Barna poll. It's always death. But Jesus ran to the battle line, didn't he? Because Jesus knew death wasn't the end. Jesus knew death wasn't the end for him. David, it says he ran to the battle line to meet the Philistine, verse 49. And David put his hand in his bag. Now, once again, I'm Goliath. I got a Yugo for armor here. And I got a spear that weighs more than anybody in the room. And he's reaching into a little satchel bag. Am I scared if I'm Goliath? No. It says this. And David put his hand in his bag and took out his stone, not five, but one, and he slung it, and he struck the Philistine in his forehead. And the stone sank in his forehead, and he fell on the face to the ground. Now, if you're the Philistines, would there not have been like a gasp of air in that moment? He chunked a rock at our man, and he's downed? Look what happens. 
So David prevailed over the Philistines with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistines and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. So then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of his sheath and killed him and cut his head off. Now, this little bitty David slung a rock, killed Goliath, took Goliath's own sword and killed him and cut his head off. Now, when I read this, here's what I'm, I want to know, that yes, there is an enemy. Yes, there is, was a battle. Yes, there was a sending. Yes, there was a stand. But in the end, there is a victory. Amen? There's a victory. David goes into battle, and David, with God's help, slays the giant Goliath. With God's help. Now, listen, the point of the story, please hear this. The point of the story is not we should all have the courage of David and fight our enemies head on. That's not the point. And you're wrong. The point is, with God's help, we can do anything God commands us to do. But it takes God's help. And with God's help, David goes and he slays the giant Goliath. But here's the best part. The victory wasn't just David's victory. The victory was Israel's victory. If you keep reading, here's what you're going to find out. The Philistines are so distraught, they start fleeing. And the Israelites are like... We won! And they start chasing the Philistines. They're like, yes, we won! And they begin to chase them to put the Philistine slaves to them. David brought victory not just for himself, but David's victory was for all of Israel. Now, please hear this. Through the cross and the resurrection, Jesus won. Now, maybe you didn't hear that. Through the cross and the resurrection, Jesus won. Amen? And David cut the head off of Goliath, and the Bible says that Jesus crushed the head of the serpent. Jesus won. When Jesus rose from the grave, he overcame death, hell, and the grave. He won the battle. But the good news is, his victory is not just his victory. His victory is our victory too. Listen to what Paul said. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God. Say that with me. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through Christ Jesus our Lord. His victory is our victory. Amen? Amen. I'm telling you, when he rose from the dead, he overcame death, hell, and the grave, and his victory is our victory too. And if you are a follower of Jesus Christ today, please hear this. If you belong to him, today you stand victorious over the power and the penalty of sin. Amen? Amen. Today you stand redeemed by the precious blood of the Lamb. Today you stand forgiven as far as the east is from the west. And today you stand loved by a God who loved you by sending his only son. And if you're a believer today, I'm just guessing we probably should celebrate that just a little bit. Today, in our hearts, in our minds, and with our attitudes, we should celebrate the fact that, there, that sin no longer has victory over me, and that we should celebrate, you know what, that we are on the winning team. The fact that Jesus brings us victory is a reminder that rescue only comes for those who put their faith in Jesus. There is no victory outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ. There is no eternal victory. You're not going to be good enough and do good enough work for God to somehow weigh your good and your bad and go, well, the good outweighs it, you get in. No, there's only one path to victory, and it's through a personal relationship with Jesus. And I hope you get that today. 
David shows up. There's an enemy. There's a battle being called out. Jesse sends David. David shows up and he stands in the gap. And through the help of God, David brings victory to Israel that day. Listen to me. There is an enemy. And there was a battle on the cross. And there was a sending from our Heavenly Father with His Son, Jesus. And Jesus stood in the gap for you and for me. And victory came when He rose from the dead because He overcame death, hell, and the grave. And if you're a follower of Jesus, that's your story too. Amen? Now, when I read this, here's what I want you to think about as we wrap it up. Goliath really is a picture of sin and death. That's what Goliath is a picture of. The giant of sin and the giant of death. And David is a picture of Jesus. Now think about it. When I say a picture of Jesus, I'm talking about a hero that is an unlikely hero. David was a runt, a young boy. He was the least likely guy to go fight Goliath. Would you agree with that? The least likely guy. And if you, I know when we read the Bible, we go back, how the Pharisees not see that Jesus was the Messiah? Listen, he came in the least likely way to be the Messiah, right? He did not come in a palace. He was born in a manger. He didn't come strutting in, riding in on a chariot. He came riding in on a donkey. He wasn't born and given a royal crown. He was given a crown of thorns. He was the least likely person to those that saw him that was going to be the savior of the world. But at the end of the day, Israel needed someone to stand in the gap, and David did it. You and I needed someone to stand in the gap, and Jesus did it for us so he could set us free. Now, if you don't know Christ today, listen to me. You can't hear what we're talking about today and not go, Maybe I should consider that. If, if the fact that God sent his son is a reminder that Jesus is the only way, and the fact that Jesus took a stand and stood in the gap for me is a reminder of how much God loves me, and the fact that Jesus rose again and brought victory is a reminder that the only way for me to have eternal rescue and eternal life is by putting my faith in him. Maybe I should consider giving my life to this Jesus guy. Maybe I should consider trusting him with my heart and my life. And if that's you today, please don't let this moment pass you by. Please don't let this moment slip away. If you're Doug, I just need to talk to you privately. Just let me know. But there's a real Savior who really loves you today. And he wants you to trust him with all of your life. And if you're a follower of Jesus today, we should celebrate. We shouldn't be somber. We shouldn't be lethargic. We shouldn't be haphazard. We shouldn't be just kind of whatever happens. We shouldn't be that way. We should be able to stand today with the confidence and, and authority and security knowing that we are loved by God. I can face whatever the enemy comes my way because Jesus has already defeated him. I can face whatever storm of life that may come my way. Why? Because Jesus already has the victory. I can stand and, and I, can, I, can, I can thrive through the pain of life because I know that Jesus is my anchor. He's with me. The psalmist says it this way, the Lord is the stronghold of my life. So whom shall I be afraid? Right? And if you're a follower of Jesus, here's all I'm asking you to do today. Would you celebrate that? Would you express some gratitude to your heavenly Father today and to your Savior for what they've done for you? Would you do that? In our household, sometimes we say attitude is not gratitude, right? Attitude is not, when you have attitude, you're never thankful. When you have attitude, you never have, are in a good place. 
And today I'm asking you to drop whatever attitude you came in with this morning. And today, if you are saved, if you know Jesus is your Savior, you stand victorious, you stand redeemed, you stand forgiven, and you stand loved. And would you express your gratitude to your Savior this morning? Let's all stand together as we pray. God, I love you. I thank you for today. I thank you for the story of David and Goliath. I know we look at it through a different lens today, but there is such a parallel between David and Jesus. And God, I just, I just pray for us in this room today because I feel like sometimes in my heart and my mind as, we, as I go through life that I don't celebrate the victory that Jesus really won in the cross and the resurrection and how that, that victory is my victory. Sin has no authority over me. The devil has no authority over me. Death is not something for me to fear. They, Lord, when, because we're followers of Jesus, those of us that are, we stand today victorious. We win. We stand today redeemed and rescued and forgiven. But God, we stand today loved. And I pray for my brothers and my sisters in the room that are believers. May we just, just kind of drop any attitudes that we have today. May we drop the somberness. And in a minute when we sing truth, may we elevate that truth to you. May we express our gratitude to you. May we be thankful that you gave us the victory because you loved us. God, may we celebrate that today. May you, I, I pray that you would bind any spirit of apathy today that you'd bind any spirit of just being lethargic today. That when I think that what I deserve is death, hell, and the grave, and eternal separation, but through Christ what I have is the hope of heaven, it makes me want to shout. It makes me want to sing. It makes me want to celebrate. And may we find that spirit in this place, in this moment today. And for those who don't know you, may they trust you. May they be overwhelmed by how much you loved us, that your son died for us, and all we have to do is put our faith in Him. God, give us the strength to say yes to you today. We love you, Lord. And I pray that believers would celebrate. And as we sing this truth about your love, that we would express our gratitude toward you today. For you're awesome, Lord. And we do love you. And we do thank you. And today, may we celebrate you. For it's in your precious Son's name we pray. Amen and amen. I was lost, I was in chains, 